0: Welcome to another episode. Before we get started, shout out to the newest patrons. Shout out to Cat Fgrave, Matt Zafiro, Mickey King, Crimson Karma, Crust Borg, Sam. I'm not going to try and say your last name cuz I don't know how to say it. Marco, Kevin Van Unen, Ignacio, and Big Red Official. Shout out to all of you. Really appreciate you and shout out to all the members over on the YouTube side. Not sure if they're subscribed to the RSS feed or not, but check out the Patreon. Doing a live show this Thursday. We're catching this on Monday the 30th. I will be doing a live show for members only on Thursday, November 2nd at 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to check that out, sign up for the Patreon, and hopefully I'll see you over on that end. Have a safe and happy Halloween, I guess. For Those catching this on Monday. So shout out to all of you. Appreciate you and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the one on one podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad free content, early access exclusive episodes and monthly supporter hangouts you can find it at patreon.com slash the juan on juan podcast if you don't like the subscription-based models there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode
1: Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the Paranoid American Homunculus Owner's Manual, Not for the Faint of Heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome to the One-on-One Podcast with your host, Juan Ayala
0: Welcome back to another episode of the one-on-one podcast. I'm your host as always. Make sure to follow the show on social media at the one-on-one podcast, tjojp.com. And make sure to get your homunculus owner's manual. Make sure to get a copy of the of Monday, the chosen one, all that good stuff, tjojp.com. Links in the description as always and a few things. I'm going to start reading some reviews, five-star reviews at least. And I've gotten a couple, which I think is the first time I'm going to... I don't even know if I mentioned that or not, but I'm going to start reading them. So we have here, let's read the ones that came in in October. So extra in a good way. This is Matt. Moon crazy. Juan is a very likable person, which always helps I love the topics and reminds me how much info is available that is available that is often shunned by the mainstream. The inclusion of several other podcasters on a regular basis makes it even better. There's quite a bit of stuff out there covering the same things over and over again without adding anything new. This is not that. So thank you very much, Matt, for that. And yeah, this helps to show out Even if you you don't have to support the show Monetarily or anything Five star review And share it with your family and friends And we're good to go Because it will help the show Put us in the algorithm, put us in front of new people Going to read another one here Greatest Esoteric Podcast One of my favorite podcasts on esoteric topics That's Georgie And then we got Bigfoot Stacy Shout out to him A neighborly guy This one was funny So I remember a young Juan growing up in my neighborhood, a shy, sweet young man, always willing to help. Yes, always willing. I remember nights when we would just sit on my porch and stare into each other's eyes, pondering the secrets of the universe and how I survived the hammer shortage of 1829. A quiet young lad, a quiet young lad, which is why I'm so proud of my young Juan. Having his own successful and very enjoyable podcast reminds me of the summer that Juan thought. Me to shave my legs, taught me to shave my legs and my uncle's hot air balloon. Uh, What a time to be alive had except for I was 70 and no uncle or hot air balloon. (laughs) (laughs) Bigfoot State, see a neighborly guy. We have another one here, the Goat of the Occult. That was pretty good. Great podcast, never gets boring, 10 out of 10. Shout out to Brandon and then Michael J. Rocks. Stumbled across one's podcast a few months ago after hearing him mentioned in a Mind Unveiled video. Shout out to Mind Unveiled. And since then, I have powered through pretty much his entire catalog and wait anxiously for each new episode to drop. His meticulous research and analytical approach to the occult is unmatched. One-on-one is the new gold standard. His tone, cadence, and delivery is flawless. I don't know about that, but... (laughs) But what's also refreshing is how he's able to mix in comedy with such dark topics and a sea of a and esoteric podcast one-on-one stands on an entirely different level. Make sure to check out any and all podcasts of the Occult Book Club with Thomas from Paranoid American, who was an absolute rock star and beast as well. I don't know about that either, but check out Thomas, paranoid American.com. Looking forward to seeing this show grow and flourish. In the future cheers to the home oncologists, and add this podcast to your favorite asap so those are some of the five star reviews that came in in october if you want to be a part of the reading make sure to and even on you can leave even on spotify we've had a few people leaving comments about the show as well you can leave some on there and I haven't announced this. I don't think yet, but I did make a Google voice. You can call in and leave a voicemail if you want, and I'll be reading those. I'll be playing those on air as well. Four zero seven four seven six four six zero six. That's four zero seven four seven six four six zero six. Call in, leave a, a voicemail. And if it's good enough, I'll play it on the air. Any questions or anything? And also, if, if you want more of the show, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash the one on one podcast. You get extra shows on there weekly. I am doing a full series with Mystic Mark that is going to be available only on there to either patrons or YouTube members. I do. If you want to get the most bang for your buck, Patreon, because you get access to like 200, episodes in the archive that are only on patreon and it's the patreon is a lot older than the youtube but shout out to the youtube members as well if you want to sign up on there you can and yeah i think that's it as far as like the business side of things so five star review like comment subscribe wherever you are and the google voice you can call in leave a voicemail i was sick this past week And I was down for for like a week and a couple of days and I had to reschedule three shows. So I'm now getting a chance to record this episode, which a lot of my research lately has been very homunculus centric. And the reason for that being is because I am working on my book, which is going to be about homunculus And so I'm trying to not flood you guys with too much homunculus lore or like alchemical talk. And I'm going to be having interviews in between my solo episodes, but we're going to, I'm going to be putting out some things along the alchemical homunculus route. So again, it's going to be part of it because I'm trying to keep the show going while at the same time trying to get research done for my book and getting things written down for the book as well, which is kind of hard to juggle sometimes because I'll start reading a completely different thing that has nothing to do with my research on the homunculus. And it kind of, again, it's going to take, it's taken me longer than I wanted to write this book, but it's getting done nonetheless, and it will be out when it's out. And today's presentation, I kept adding stuff to it and I have like 60 something slides, which we'll get to. And I, I've i been researching this for like three weeks now. I'm going to be talking about elementals today, about Paracelsus, about... I forgot what else is in there, but some stuff. It's very research heavy. It's something... So elementals, and I left plenty on the table as well, which we can always revisit later on. But the thing about elementals is I've referenced it before, and it's one of those things where you go, okay, well, this is very elementary, no pun intended, because we're going to be talking about elementary spirits as well, but it's something very superficial, right? Elementals, air, earth, wind, fire, and then the quintessence, the fifth element, whatever. And that's very superficial, but when you start to really peel things apart and look deeper, you go, okay, there's a lot more here than what I thought. So that's what happened to me with this presentation. And so here we are. I have this whole thing on it, which again, relates to my homunculus research. So here we go here. Here goes nothing. So the elements, right? Beings, beings created from the four elements of nature. The classes are earth, water, fire, air. And interestingly enough, the concept of elementals, wherever you really look, it's always linked back to Paracelsus, right? Daddy Paracelsus, who is the Hamunk daddy as well. Earth gnomes, pygmies. I think pygmies like a racist thing that you can you can't say pygmies anymore, but whatever. Undines, undines, however you'd like to say it. Don't send me an email how I'm pronouncing it wrong or nymphs, fire salamanders air sylphs and mind you paracelsus during his time never actually used the word elemental this is something that came later on he actually referred them to spirits or what they call proper names which is like water people mountain people air people etc etc and gnomes i'm going to be going down like the superficial exoteric mythological aspect and then we're going to be digging a little bit deeper towards the end and we're going to jump off the deep end in the middle somewhere you'll see where it gets it's going to get crazy and again this is something i was researching i was like ah this is kind of lame i'm not going to do an episode on this no when i started to really peel it apart i was like wait a minute there's actually more to this than than we've been led to to believe so mythological creatures right these little gnomes typically small live underground Described as two spans high in a span, I learned is from the tip of your pinky finger to the tip of your thumb is a span. So two spans high. And this used to be a, a form of measurement back then that they would use. Very reluctant, reluctant to interact with humans, able to move through solid earth as easily as humans move through air, which is interesting. I didn't know that about gnomes. They guard mines and precious underground treasures. And when you look up the etymology of the of gnomes, right, dwarf-like earth-dwelling spirit, and they attribute it to using the 16th century in a treaty by Paracelsus, who gave the name Pygmae or Genomi to elemental earth beings, possibly from Greek genomos, earth dweller, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And we have here popularized in England in children's literature from the early 19th century. But again, came from Paracelsus. Paracelsus was the one that introduced the idea, which is, again, something new I didn't really know. The earth is filled almost to the center with gnomes or fairies, a people of small stature, the guardians of treasures, of mines and of precious stones. They are ingenious friends of men in ease easy to come to be commanded. They furnish the children of the sages with as much money as they have need of and never ask any other reward of their services than the glory of being commanded. The nomides or nos or wives of these gnomes or fairies are little but very handsome, and their habit marvis- marvis- marvellously curious. A user of Wikipedia or any wiki, who makes the useful incremental edits without clamoring for attention is also called a wiki gnome, which I didn't know about that. So a wiki gnome is a person that makes edits and doesn't boast about making an edit on Wikipedia. I don't even know how to make an edit on Wikipedia. Undines or undines, elemental beings associated with water, water nymphs almost invariably depicted as being female which is consistent with ancient Greek idea that water is a female element. I've I've heard that before. Water is feminine, usually found in forest pools or waterfalls, naredines, limnads, Naiades, mermaids, and potamides. I'm saying those right, but who cares? And marriage with a human shortens their lives, but grants them an immortal human soul, which is something we're going to be talking about here today as well the marriage with elementals invoking elemental evocation of elementals all that good stuff and i've never watched the little mermaid so yeah and i'm pretty sure she was was she tried to marry him or something like that something was happening there i'm gonna have to check that out the offspring of a human with a human is called a watermark which i also found interesting so again i'm finding all these little nuggets as i'm doing this research on something very superficial that you don't really think about but there's a lot of stuff to still be learned and <laughs> uh, again the etymology 1821 modern Latin udina coined by paracelsus in his alchemical system from latin unda a wave billow and then towards the end again the more you know undyism or undianism was coined by sex researcher Havelock Ellis to describe the fetish for urine. So the more you know, ladies and gentlemen, homunculine, femunculus. Now that's called urophilia. So if you have a urine fetish, back then you would be it would be considered undianism, which is pretty bizarre. So sylphs, air spirit. And they're described as rougher, coarser, taller, and stronger than humans. Etymology, back again, the coin by Paracelsus, originally referring to any race of spirits inhabiting the air, described as being mortal but lacking a soul, which is something we're we'll going to be talking about here today as well. Paracelsus' words seem seems to be an arbitrary coinage, but perhaps it holds a suggestion of Latin silva and Greek nymph, or Greek sylph, a kind of beetle, but French etymologists propose a Gaulish origin. Hmm. The Century Dictionary comments that, quote, two occultists and quacks, like Paracelsus, a word spelled with a Y look more Greek and convincing. The idea itself seems to have come from the air spirits of Kabbalism the meaning graceful girls recorded by 1838 on the notion of slender figure and light airy movement. Maybe that's why we have milfs. Who knows? Maybe, right? Salamander something that I've always heard about in reference to, of course, alchemy. The salamander is the, the emblem of choice, I guess, for alchemists. Salamander is depicted with a lizard-like form. Seder-like creature, worm penetrating flames, elemental fire, ability to live in fire. And salamanders have been seen in the shapes of fiery balls or tongues of fire running over the fields or appearing in houses. And this, this, I've heard that before where elementals are seen as orbs. And I've heard also about like Bigfoot or cryptids traveling in this ball form through open areas. So very interesting that it's shape of fiery balls. And another group was described as huge flaming giants in flowing robes protected with sheets of fiery armor. And this is interesting because John D and Edward Kelly. This is kind of sort of the description that they were giving with these entities that they were seeing on the other side. There were giants with eyes of flames. And very geometric in nature. So just an interesting depiction there. Maybe alchemists. I believe that they're appearing in other dimensions. With the use of, of substances or not, that's up for debate. But flowing robes, protected with sheets of fiery armor. Certain medieval authorities among them, Abe de Villars, which we're going to get into here, held that Zarathustra was the son of Vesta believed to have been the wife of noah and the great salamander or hence from that time onward undying fires have been maintained upon the persian altars in honor of zarathustra's flaming father and that's from manly p hall's the secret teachings of all ages and manly p hall actually wrote in depth in depth of elementals and he had a lot of different sources and again a lot of these sources are like hey trust me bro but even if, let's say, the supernatural and the idea of entities and things like that, let's throw all the woo-woo out. Let's throw, like, even demons and all these different things out, things that we can't really perceive with our, with our senses. There is not in a, I'm not going to call it a microcosmic level, but in a microbial level, like if you take a a microscope, you can see things. So we know that there are, right, they say, if you want to believe mainstream media or mainstream history, everything is made out of atoms, everything is composed of the same makeup, right? That's one thing. But when you zoom out, there is a microbial layer of life of reality, I guess. And then you zoom out, there's us. And then if you zoom out, there's things that are bigger than us. And then if you zoom out of there. I don't know. There's organic, organic UFOs and things like that. <laughs> if you want to talk about being like the bigger stuff, but it's up for debate. But we can't, we'll side. there is, even on a mi- microbial level, there is life. Okay. And strongest and most powerful, the elementals, the salamanders, and had as their ruler a magnific- magnificent flaming spirit called Jinn, terrible and awe inspiring in appearance, which is an interesting connection there. Salamanders were dangerous, and the sages were warned to keep away from them, as the benefits derived from studying them were often not commensurate with the price paid. Hmm. And. Again, if you look at this picture, you can kind of say like salamanders, maybe perhaps you can tie in the devil in there, like almost like a demonic looking creature. So perhaps the idea of the devil and making deals with the devil is not worth it, maybe. Right. I mean, there's the fire, Satan, devil, satyr, how we said at the beginning, they're they're satyr-like creatures. So maybe perhaps... There's a connection there. Lizard form, thinking of reptilians. And we have here mid 14th century salamandre, legendary lizard like creatures supposed to live in fire from old French salamandre. Legendary fiery beast, also cricket. And a kind of lizard supposed to be an extinguisher of fire, a word probably of Eastern origin. The application in zoology to a tailed amphibian, etc. etc., is recorded by 1610th. Aristotle and especially Pliny are responsible for the fiction of an animal that thrives in and extinguishes fires. The eph lives in damp logs and secretes a milky substance when threatened. Hmm. But there is no obvious natural explanation for the myth. The word was also was also. The word also was given as a name to a type of imaginary elemental fire, 1680s, which, again, Paracelsus. And the uh, I've heard also that the reason, I think I have it in here. No. But the idea of the salamanders being connected with fire also plays a role in the whole, if there was a wildfire or something in the forest. These salamanders are living in the logs. The logs are heating up. Salamanders are coming out from the fire. You know, they're, oh, they're coming out because of the fire. So they're fire elementals or fire beings. I've also heard that aspect as to why salamanders are tied to this fire aspect. And I've also seen the interpretation of salamanders being dragons and not actually like these lizards that we see in the woods they were actually another way of drawing or another depiction for dragons which are fire breathing reptilians or big lizards essentially is what they are some people say that's what dinosaurs are dinosaurs are fake and gay too so who knows So Elementals, man lives in a world of three dimensions, but he is surrounded by a universe in which there are infinite number of dimensions beyond human experience. A dimension is more than a mere division or expression of extent and expanse. And I'm drawing this from Manly P. Hall. I'll have to find the journal that it was from, but he wrote again extensively about Paracelsus and he did write about Elementals a lot. So the element spheres expand into dimensions beyond us and are finally lost to our comprehension in the concept of space, which is actually the the reservoir of dimension. There are forms in nature that are not three-dimensional or two-dimensional or one-dimensional, as we apply such terms. There are also forms in which there are many more dimensions than we have ever recognized. This is... Manly P. Hall in the early 19 somethings writing about Paracelsus and writing about the idea of there being things beyond our comprehension. Now, you can tie in string theory, you can, tie, you can tie in the multiverse, you can tie in a lot of these different things, which again, come from these ancient, from the ancient thought. And they put it into the mainstream scientific scene, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, right? Or seance, science, trust the science or trust the science. Paracelsus further believed that man possesses powers and latent faculties by which it is possible for him to gradually become aware of many dimensioned universe of a many dimensioned universe. So the idea that we're able to align ourselves to certain frequencies to be able to appear into other realms or maybe technologies to appear into other realms, or that's the collective conscious or whatever it is. Paracelsus believe that. And I'm gonna be today's research consists of some translations of Paracelsus. I got some papers. I got some, I got some stuff. And this is where it starts. We're we'll start we're gonna start cooking with gas right off the bat here because Paracelsus is dropping bombs. It's dropping bombs. Space is fake and gay. So space is fake and gay. This will mean the ultimate conquest of space through the realization that there is no such thing as space, but merely an infinite expanse of unfolding areas of visible or invisible, known or unknown life, energy, and substance. There is no vacuum in the universe, and the nearest thing to a vacuum, according to Paracelsus, was the brain of one of his fellow professors at Basel University. Damn. Yo, that goes hard. That goes hard. So if we were to ask Mr. Paracelsus, Mr. Philippus Ariolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim himself, aka Paracelsus, he would say, is you know we ask him is space really fake and gay to which he would say that shit is fake AF and I was able to translate this this quote not really I can't you know whatever anyways space is fake don't believe it Paracelsus was saying this in the 16th century okay 16th 17th century whenever he was saying this all right So don't fall for it, ladies and gentlemen. Remember that space is fake and gay, fake and gay. All right. Anyways, moving on. Paracelsus explains that we can we come to know the elements because we have a certain experience of them through our sensory perceptions and our intellectual powers. This is true. We feel the wind. We feel the water. We feel fire. We feel Earth can touch it, put it in your mouth, you can lick it. We know that the earth extends beneath our feet. We can touch solid s- substances and know them to have structure, weight, shape, and size. Bodies grow from the earth and the more corporeal parts of these bodies are of the earth earthy. Like the trunk of a tree or the bones of animals, such forms belong to the physical element of earth. They are derived from it and ultimately they return to it again. Right? We are all born the same, we all die the same, we're buried six feet under and we are then absorbed by this earth, right? Man is also sustained and supported by liquids, which together the ancients called the water element. The human being can live much longer without food than without water. Yet this very water which preserves him and of which his body is largely composed can also destroy him. That is, he can drown or become become dropsical (laughs) in his own flesh man must also possess the principle of heat or fire in order to exist and paracelsus believed that the heat radiating radiating center in the body was the liver and they call it the liver because they believe right live right the liver live and there's more on that but i don't know without heat man must die but with too much heat he can also be consumed funny how that works you can drink too much water there's such thing as drinking too much water. That's wild. You can get poisoned by drinking too much water. How crazy is that? So fire is both a friendly and a dangerous element. The last of these elements is air. and Without this man can survive only a few moments. He discovers his indebtedness. Indebtedness. Indebted. Indebtedness. Yikes. When he climbs to a high altitude and experiences difficulty because of the rarefied atmosphere. He lives within air as the fish lives within water and the pressure of air upon his body is likewise essential to his survival so again these things were interpreted as such not only from a like a a, a physical practical way in ancient times but also from a metaphysical way which we'll get into later where Disease. Some diseases were attributed to supernatural means, to magic. And if they came from magic, they could also be treated from magic. So the magician was the same thing as a physician. Magician, physician, they were both the same at one point in time. The physician was the one that would take the occulted aspects of nature to treat man, to absorb the benefits of the occulted aspects of nature. And that's essentially what natural magic is. It is what Elias Ashmole called non-necromantical because they weren't using any outside theurgical influence to have a an effect or it was natural. God put it in nature and you mix a plus B and you get C. So it's okay because if God didn't want you to do that then why would he put it there in the first place to tempt you, right Eve? So moving along here in Paracelsian theory, each of the elements is a kind of world. So we have this aspect okay again each has each elemental starts to get into its own dimension essentially a sphere, interpenetrating the spheres of other elements, yet possessing qualities of its own. Thus, there are four spheres, earth, the most visible, physical, and fixed, water, physical, but mutable, fire, sometimes visible in combustion and more mutable, and finally air, usually invisible and to be discovered, as in the case of wind, when it causes some physical thing to move, like the swaying of branches or the filling of a sail. So again, they're there, but sometimes aren't seen, but they exist. And not until these elements start to, right, these dimensions start to fall into one another, will they be perceived, right? All physical elements are therefore twofold, possessing a casual nature, essentially invisible, and a nature according to to effect or consequence, usually visible to some degree. And fire, if you really think about fire, fire is pretty it's got like a mind of its own. It's alive in some sort of way. Now, if it's conscious or not, that's a whole other debate. Is water conscious? It always seeks level, doesn't it? Is it doing that because again, some sort of creature entity? I mean, And then this is where it gets interesting, where we're going to get get into some literature that, again, I've been reading a lot of stuff about it. I'm going to be doing an, an occult book club on this book. According to Comte de Gabalis, the elements were before the fall subject to Adam and all things, and we are led to understand that by means of certain performances, this ancient communication may be restored and that man may once more have at his beck and call the elementary spirits. And in the beginning, these sons of heaven, being beloved to the daughters of men, engendered famous giants and those in different Kabbalists, Joseph and Philo, of which almost all Jews are ignorant, and subsequently all the authors I have just mentioned, as well as the origin and Macrobius, macrobius said that they were angels, not knowing that they were sylphs. And other elementary peoples who, under under the name of the children of Elohim, are distinguished from the children of men. And I've I never looked at it from this aspect. Again, this is this research has opened up my horizon to other perspectives of stories that we're used to hearing. So the daughters of men and these watchers, these entities these fallen angels well they were actually elementals sylphs right of the air and the reason that they wanted to insert themselves into the daughters of men which we'll learn later is that when a one of these elementals or these spirits marries a human they become mortal so they were seeking to become mortal and incarnate in this reality And elementals and elementary spirits are two different concepts, which I'll break down for you guys here today. But again, the Watchers being elementals. I never thought about that before. Again, different interpretations of this, because I know how, how much some of you like to point out the symbolic interpretations of some of these alchemical texts. I'm well aware of the... Symbolic interpretations. The four rivers described in Genesis as flowing out of the Garden of Eden represented the streams of energy sustaining the four primordial elements. Or so these four elements were actually the four rivers described in Genesis. Well, that would make Genesis symbolic. Which some people think it did happen, some people don't. But I'm not here to debate that. Symbolized by the four fixed signs of the Zodiac, Taurus, the bull, representing Earth, Scorpio, the scorpion, representing water, Leo, the lion, representing fire, and Aquarius, sometimes called the water bearer, an electric kind of fluid associated with the spirit of air. So we have the Zodiac, again, four fixed signs representing these four different elements, later identified with the four corners of the world, and then Christianity. But the four apostles or evangelists Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In art, these evangelists were often pictured accompanied by the fixed signs of the zodiac. Again, I'm not here to debate that the validity of the Bible or not, or the things happening in a historical sense. But these are, I felt like putting this in here because, again, it's a different view of some of these aspects that we're studying, a more symbolic view of it. And it's very relevant, so I felt the need to have it in here. And Marco Longo' is probably going to be mad at me for, for using this picture of the Garden of Eden because it's supposed to be in Florida. Right? Characteristics. According to Paracelsian Lure, all elemental beings possess a humanoid appearance, allowing them to blend in with human populations. However, they share no kinship with humans and do not trace their lineage back to Adam and Eve. They are, aren't exactly spirits. Rather, they are—they were created resembling humans, possessing flesh, bones, and blood. They are higher than man since they are a part of both the physical, physical and spiritual worlds. They do not worship God and live according to instinct and reason. They lack soul and have no afterlife. They aren't frightened by death. They are amoral. They do not worship or fear evil. And they, quote, have an existence without conflict. That's Manly P. Hall. They can live longer than man because (laughs) there is no stress or pressure. They are not subject to wear or exhaustion. So they live longer than us because they don't got that nine to five grind. And they're not, they don't have stress pretty much. (laughs) According to Paracelsus and according to Manly P. Hall. Right. So. Elementals can enter the human world, but humans cannot enter the elementals realms because the physical body is too coarse. Elementals can be evoked during magical rites or rituals. Man may be able to break through some of the dimension binders which hold his consciousness in psychological restraint. This can occur in sleep or in the dream state. And this is relevant to things that I've talked about with like the Mob Zone, Kenneth Grant, the idea of sleep being another realm, another dimension, and you're able to tap into things through there, right? You're able to, right, there's an exception to the being able to go into these worlds. Maybe the use of certain substances also aids in this entering of these other realms, other dimensions, right? Paracelsus belonged to the group of philosophers who maintain that are Comparative ignorance on the subject on the subjective side of our own lives was due mostly to our hypnotic addiction to objectivity. The consciousness of the small child, not having been adversely conditioned by what we all call the but by what we call the reasonable retains faculties by which he may penetrate some of the dimensional boundaries and become aware of invisible creatures or participate in experiences which are not of this world So I'm sure I've, I've seen my son Smiling and talking to Empty spaces in the room or something Was he Conversing with Elementals One time he saw a big monkey while we were out Driving around in the In the swamp Did he see Bigfoot? Is Bigfoot Fake and gay? I don't know and then they, this is mainly P. Hall later, later, however, ridicule, ridicule and the pressure of common opinion contribute to the loss of the actual faculties and their perceptions. So not because they grow out of it, not because, right, something's happened. No, it's because of the ridicule that they experience from believing in these things that makes that go away. Maybe. Right and Arch, Archidoxus, Doxis he builds his theory of elemental beings upon scriptural foundations and this talking about Paracelsus he tells, us, he tells us that there are two kinds of substances in nature, two kinds of bodies there is a flesh from Adam, and there is also a flesh that is not from Adam. Adamic flesh is composed of the mingling of the four basic elements that were known to the ancients we must bear in mind that our modern theory of demons is far more complicated than the older concept. Adam is composed of a mingling of these four elements. Thus, in the body, in the human body, there there is a physical or mineral part, a vegetative or humid part, a fiery principle sustaining warmth and motion, and an airy or gaseous principle, gaseous, often related to the structure of the intellect. Thus, the human body is made up of solids, liquid gases, and a fire principle. So kind of sort of what I was saying earlier. And this Archidosis or Archidosis, whatever, however you want to say it. When I look this up, this is a little side tangent. Apparently, this is a it's a pseudo Paracelsian grimoire from the 16th century that the book discusses magical sigils for the use on talismans or amulets. And it's quote, the main reason for Paracelsus reputation as a magician. So again, the pseudo Paracelsian grimoire of the 16th century is the reason why Paracelsus has his ma- magical or magician reputation. I-, I never had heard about that before. This is news to me. And according to this, the Lesser Key of Solomon is substantially based on the Archidoxis or Archidoxis, however you want to say it, magica. So, from this manuscript, this gave Paracelsus' a reputation, which was new news to me. Okay, organization, and I recently saw this this movie with my son elementals or elemental from Pixar and it was actually it was actually pretty good it was actually pretty good it had a basic plot but these ideas that I'm and this kind of sort of also inspired this episode these ideas that I'm talking about as far as like the elements don't intermingle right things kind of stay in their own dimension Things of that nature are portrayed in this children's movie. They are they are put in again Disney. Each elemental, they can't, right? They kind of sort of fall in love with one another and they can't be together because again, one is from one is water, one is fire. So you see these things, and they're drawing these concepts from essentially paracelsus, because according to history, elementals come from paracelsus. So elementals don't mingle. With other elementals, although they all mean go with humans, they have a societal structure with leaders and laws, different classes, vary in their ability to interact with humans. The undines or nymphs have the most interaction, followed by the sylphs. Gnomes and salamanders have the least amount of interaction. And this is especially true of elusive salamanders, said Paracelsus. A lot of source, trust me, bro, again, something that is not new to us, there's a lot of things that we read about where the source is. Trust me, bro. <laughs> I mean, you think about the homunculus concept. It's a lot of trust me, brows in there. Creation of elementals. Magicians can create elementals from a substance on the mental plane to serve a certain purpose. These elementals have no astral form and remain on the mental plane. So we're getting into the topic of topos, thought forms, egregores, which we'll get to later. These elementals can only do one thing and cannot do anything and its its creator cannot do. The magician creates it from the elements and gives it gives it characteristics fit for its tasks. The created elemental has some of the creator's consciousness within it. It is given a name so it can be summoned and controlled and its lifespan is determined. The magician then detaches himself from the elemental and it is sustained by the mental essence of the magician. Again, things I've kind of sort of covered, but not really in depth. The evocation of elementals. Man descending from Adam and receiving his body from the Adamic flesh lives in four elementary spheres at the same time. Dominion over these elements, power to control, integrate, and arrange them. And he also possesses within himself the quintessence or the fifth essence, which is what makes us different than these elementals and the reason why we can control them because we have this fifth element, which gets into some other things that I'm not going to cover on this Episode, but this is a psychic spiritual energy superior to the elements by the agency of which these elements can be bound and unbound, held together in conformity with the laws governing the human creation. This quintessence or fifth power was known to both the Pythagoreans and the Paracelsians as the soul, which permeated the flesh of Adam and sold him so that he became indeed a living being. And really any story of creation, man is made from the ground, usually, right? I think even the Anunnaki story, I think man is like grown in a lab, right? Something like that. They did some experiment anyways. In most stories, at least the ones that that I've heard about, man is formed, shaped from clay or shaped from the dirt, from the ground. God breathes, breathes life into its soul, right? The numa. This is Eliphas Levi from the doctrine and uh, doc, the doctrine and ritual of high magic. To overcome and subjugate the elementary spirits, we must never yield to their characteristic defects. In a word, we must overcome them in their strength without ever being overcome by their weaknesses. Our, uh, Arthur Edward White Commanding the elemental spirits requires that the magician be free of common weaknesses and vices and be fortified by the grace and favor of the superior world. So we're going to get into the idea of evoking or invoking elementals and using them for magical purposes. But before we get there, and I was doing miscellaneous research and I came across this Lieber LXX from our favorite guy Crowley and in 1916 Crowley initiated himself in a magical rite involving a frog It was baptized as Jesus and worshipped as God incarnate after a day Crowley arrested it charged it with blasphemy and sedation and sentenced it to crucifixion while was being unalived Curly declared that its elemental spirit would enter his service as a guardian of his work. The frog was then stabbed to death, cooked, and its legs were eating. Sure, it's just symbolic and not to be taken literal, right? Just another one of these things to throw you off the path if you can't read these things and right (laughs) stomach it okay and then this is supposedly supposedly a crucified frog that the Pope had ruled as blasphemous or something or other I don't know something like that I saw I read when I pulled that image who knows but I felt it was appropriate to have here So these things that are meant to be taken symbolic, not literal, you got people who, in my opinion, I don't think Parsons was a dumb guy or unintelligent guy. It was, if you want to believe mainstream media or mainstream history, he was a quite literally a rocket scientist. And he took Crowley's writings and, and, took it literal and we know this that he was trying to invoke an elemental which he took from the writings of crowley and he did the babylon working ritual with l ron hubbard and he was quite he was trying to quite literally stop the destruction of this dimension is is, is what he believed he was doing right so it involved numerous invocation of spirits and Enochian calls, which the Enochian system is also based on the four elements. You have different tablets attributed to different elements. So again, what I mentioned earlier at the beginning of these this fiery robe with fiery eyes, very geometrical in nature. These were the entities that John Dino or Kelly were encountering on these other planes, these other aethers that they were scrying into, right? So Enochian calls a wand talisman, Magically charged with semen and blood and magical masturbation. (laughs) I did a whole episode on this. I think it's episode 84, 85 on Parsons and this whole thing. So check that out.
1: Go visit ChosenLon.com. It's easy to remember if you just sing along. ChosenLon.com. Go visit ChosenLon.com. The one. Yes, he is a chosen one. He's got his own comic. And now he's got his own song. Cause he's a chosen one. Yes, he is a chosen one. Go buy a copy at ChosenOne.com. ChosenOne.com. Go visit ChosenOne.com. It's easy to remember. If you just sing along. Chosen1.com.
0: Go visit Parsons specified that the manifested elemental would have red hair and green eyes. Eventually, this led to the meeting of Marjorie Cameron. He believes he succeeded with his elemental, his invocation, because allegedly it was Marjorie Cameron, the one that was this femunculus or homunculus or moon child or moon woman that was trying to be brought into this dimension, I guess. Again, you see, I I've, I know of people that are trying to create homunculus, like right now, 2023, October 27th, 2023, 5.57 p.m. Eastern. I know of people who are trying to create homunculus. And it's not meant to be taken literal, but there's people doing these works for for real. Right? So there's and this is what fascinates me as well about this aspect. The idea that it's is it supposed to exist on the imaginary plane only, or are you able to bring it down into the physical, physical manifestation or physical world, if you will? Well, Parsons died. It was for real. <laughs> So he took, so Parsons took this, this idea. He, he could have had various sources. And I get, I get into this in my book because Crowley wrote extensively about moon children and the idea of a homunculus. He wrote about it in various pieces of literature. One of them, magic and theory and practice, Part 3, Book 4, Chapter XI, I think that's 6, of Our Lady Babylon and of the Beast War on She Writeth, also concerning transformations. I'm not going to read the chapter because I did talk about it in. I should have Moonchild. I did talk about it in episode 167, Mind Control and the Homunculus Moonchildren, Avesta Brotherhood, Clones, and Mortality. I did that episode with. Paranoid American and Donut, and we got, I went into a little bit more depth into Crowley's writings. He was insinuating that certain, certain secret organizations, if he's talking about secret societies or, or what he's referring to, who knows, maybe governmental societies that, are, that have the knowledge of how to create a homunculus, that's according to him. And I will also be doing an occult book club on Moonchild with Paranoid American here very soon. So keep an eye out for that, which we're going to peel this book apart. And yeah, so check out episode 167 where I go further in. We tie in Homunculus to Mind Control, MKUltra, things of that nature, programmable people, clones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the Homunculus Club, which is an actual thing. This is part of the... I believe it was, uh, O-T- it was OTO, the Homunculus Club. So check that out where I go in, in a little bit more depth in, into that aspect of it. We have the Key of Solomon, uh, which Mathers, right? We have the OTO and all these things. They took a particular interest in this elemental aspect, right? Uh, the Key of Solomon, the King, Clavicula, Salomonis. There are different kinds of spirits according to the things over which they preside. Some of them govern the Empyrean Heaven, others the Premium Mobile, others the First and Second Crystalline, others the Starry Heaven. There are also spirits of the Heaven of Saturn, which I call Saturnites. There are Jovial, Martial, Solar, Venerian, Mercurial, and Lunar Spirits. There are also spirits in the Elements as well as in the Heavens. There are some in the Fire region, others in the air, others in the water, and others upon the earth, which can all render service to that man who shall have the good fortune to understand their nature and to know how to attract them. And furthermore, I wish to make thee understand that God hath destined to each one of us a spirit which watches over us and takes care of our preservation. These are called genii who are elementary like us who are more ready to render service to those who whose temperament is conformed to the element which these geni or genie in, inhabit. And this is interesting, this idea that we have a quote unquote genie. You have the idea of the genie in the bottle and it's, it's always portrayed as a what are your three wishes or back to Disney with Aladdin? Like, what are your three wishes? How can I be of service? And when you get into the whole idea of, of like fetishism and and fetishes, where it's right, the bottle is, the, amulet that's housing, the spirit or entity being the jinn right? And the idea that he, that who are elementary like us, but uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Uh, just an interesting. Use of words there. And, of course, right, going down these rabbit holes, you stumble across really interesting things. And back again to the concept of this is supposed to be LARPing, this is supposed to be make-believe, this is supposed to be not taken literal, well... People who are in these societies, people who and arguably maybe perhaps in positions of power, right? So if we connect secret societies with power, and let's say that at the core of our governmental agencies, there is a cabal or whatever. Doesn't matter if you don't believe in this. And I've always said this. It doesn't matter if you don't believe it. They believe in it. So, So these people in these secret societies in these secret organizations, in these secret groups, even if it is LARPing, they're still doing it. And the Golden Dawn, there is evidence that they allegedly had a ritual to marry an elemental. Again, this is something that I stumbled across. Thinking that "Eh, it's all too superficial. This is an elementary topic. But no, there's a lot more, and you can read about this as well. This is another a source, and I'm going to share another one after this. Women of the Golden Dawn, rebels and priestesses, Mary Kay Greer, and it all started with the with this guy named Edward Edward Bridge, and Annie Hor, Horny Man, <laughs> Horny Man, and apparently she was this, she was rich. I didn't really dig into her background, but she was very wealthy. And this guy was making advances towards her. And it led her to write a letter to Mathers. And Mathers had allegedly, I mean, there's some evidence of this, taught about the relationship between men and elementals and their possible intercourse. But the papers on, these, on this theory, on his theory of elementals, has been lost. He, there's evidence that he recommended that a certain member take part in an elemental marriage. Now, it's interesting because, right, there, there's, and this, again, this goes really deep. I'm not going to get into the whole aspect of this whole thing, but the concept of, if these entities of these elementals don't have a physical medium, how are they supposed to achieve that to have intercourse? Well, use your imagination. Then there's the invocation of inviting these things in, using your body as a vessel to participate in these rituals, right? Which, back again to Mather's translation, I call genie who are elementary and elementary like us and who are more ready to render service. So they're taking these occult ideas that, hey, they're supposed to be figurative and they're supposed to be symbolic, but they're applying in the real world that they're taking those ideas and they're, they're actually acting upon them. And I'm going to read a part here where Greer talks about Horniman writing the, the letter. So Hornyman wrote Mathers that she could not accept the proprietary. The proprietary propriety of the teachings. And she was talking about Mathers paper concerning an important dogma on the subject of the relationship of the relation between men and elementals, even for the purposes of procreation, nor contemplate making such alliances either on her own part or on the part of any of her friends or companions. Mathers had recommended that Miss Anne Cardin, known as Amore, Amor, take part in an elemental marriage because she was in, quote, an extreme danger of invoking an incubus instead of a fae through want to self-control, unquote. And he expressed doubt about the wisdom of such teachings, implying that Mathers may have perverted them through some impurity of his own, or even more shockingly of vestigias, the adepts name of Mathers' wife, Moina, which apparently she was a bitch. She then gave Mathers an ultimatum saying that she was suspending herself from the order until Mathers could, quote, could be sufficient sufficiently awakened from his habitual lethargy to act with energy and decision. So... The concept of marrying elementals, something that was allegedly real in the Golden Dawn. And it all started with, with our boy Edward trying to kiss Annie without her wanting to be kissed. And this is something that we can see even in cults <laughs> where the leader is like, no, nobody can have sex with anybody else. I can have sex with your wife, but I'm the only that can do that. I can have sex with anyone's wife here if I want to. So, again, in these secret societies, hey, listen, you're not part of the level to be able to argue about this. You just have to do what you're told because we're trying to, again, make sure that you're marrying an elemental for whatever reason. And then the whole thing about the Incubus and Fae, well, there was arguments against like, hey, how do you know you're actually... Invoking the correct elemental. There's no way of vetting what you're invoking. You can be invoking again an incubus or a succubus or whatever to come forth and take advantage of the situation. So that's why I said I'm not going to get too lost in the sauce. If you want to read more about it, check out the book, Women of the Golden Dawn. I meant to put more pictures in here. I guess not. Got Hornyman here. And this paper goes in depth. Marriage with Elementals from the Comte de Gabalias to the Golden Dawn Ritual dissertation by Dr. Marco uh, by I'm sorry by Alexandra Nagel or Nagel hopefully I'm saying that right but yeah check that paper out you can I think it's on academia but she goes way way in depth and she peels it apart but for the sake of this presentation I took some parts of it And you can check that out, Marriage with Elementals from La Comte de Gabalias to a Golden Dawn ritual. Now, where did the Golden Dawn get their idea for this? Where did the marrying of Elementals come from? Had to have come from somewhere. And I like to, when I'm looking into something, I like to go back to its origins. Where did people start believing these ludicrous things and these ludicrous ideas? Well, it came from this Comte de Gabalias, this book that was, I believe, French. Yes, it was French. I'm going to be doing a book club on this book. I've read some parts of it, I'm almost done with it. And I'm to introduce this idea of the sylphs being these fallen angels at the beginning. Right, when they were trying to insert themselves into the daughters of men and the reason for that being because they wanted to incarnate and solidify themselves within this dimension now the interesting part about this book is that allegedly it's what it was the book that attributed to a lot of this this European lore as far as fairies, fae, elementals, things of this nature so, and it, it, I have it here. I'm going to just keep going with this presentation. So, it's written by this guy, 17, 17th century, by Abbey Nicholas Pierre Henry de Montfaucon de Villars. Very interesting history this guy has. If he was a real guy or not, who knows? Born in 1635 or 38. And died in 1673. And usually when I see and usually when I see guys like this that it's like they don't they don't really have a actual birth date and it's like a guess, turns out that they're either made up or something's fishy about it. Because Again, it's like Ponce de Leon, they don't even know when he was actually born. They know when he died, I think, but not when he was born. And, of course, nothing specific is known about his studies or his beginnings. Nicolas Pierre added since the beginning of the 20th century. So Nicolas Pierre came to be added after the fact, (laughs) was part of the... Confraternity of Christian Doctrine CCD owns the copyright of the New American Bible Revised Edition which I found very interesting. So this this organization that he was a part of owns the copyright to the New American Bible Revised Edition. He was condemned to the wheel in 1669 but escaped to Paris to avoid a sentence. And I forgot what it was that he was sentenced for. Anyways, goes on to begin a career as a worldly abot, unofficially adopting the name of a land he inherited from his father. He took up writing and wrote Le Comte Le Comte de Gabalias, the Court of The Count of Kabbalah or Dialogues in the Secret Sciences. And now, even this book goes and has various, there's various editions of it, there's various names for it. Count de Gabalias or Count of Kabbalah is an esotericist who explains the mysteries of the world to the author. So it's a dialogue between this guy, this very it reminds me of the book Etiorpa, which is about this guy going like meeting the Illuminati and going down into Hollow Earth, like this faceless being, this watcher or something that's guiding the protagonist, showing him the hollow earth and all this stuff. This book first appeared in Paris in 1670 anonymously. So that's again he could have he could have been the one that wrote it, put it out anonymously because with with a work such as this, which is a very interesting work, it could have gotten you killed. You're revealing that you're talking about magic, you're talking about alchemy, you're talking about all these different things. Very heretical Very blasphemous. So. But this is the interesting part about it. That's supposed to be a parody. Parody on magic, astrology, alchemy, divination, and what he calls the Holy Cabal. Which is the Paracelsian idea of elementary spirits. It's widely read in France and abroad and is a source for many of the marvelous beings that populate later European literature. So again, it was very influential to the idea of all these elementals, mermaids, fairy, fey folk, all that stuff. And the book aims to both discredit the secret sciences and to ruin belief in the devil. Quote Because, because all the actions usually attributed to the devil, possession oracles of the pagans, packed with Satan, sorcerers, Sabbath, etc., are here related to the harmless actions of sylphs gnomes nymphs or salamanders and the book hammers down on the idea that the devil has no power in this world interesting so again a a a work that is supposed to be a parody that's supposed to make fun of the occult that's supposed to discredited but yet was taken seriously by the likes of Eliphas Levi Helena Blavatsky and Manly P. Hall Manly P. Hall references it quite a few times in his work so it's supposed to be a parody and when I was reading it I couldn't really pick up on the satirical Aspects of it, because it does have some stuff, some interesting concepts in it, has some interesting ideas in it. Again, it's he understood the occult. I'm not I'm not seeing the. The parody aspect in it. Maybe since it's not in the original language, we can't pick up on the tone. Maybe perhaps that could that could be attributed to it. And the fact that there is various. Volumes and editions of it. That could also be part of it. Banned by Antony Arnold in March of 1671, who then published in Paris, the judgment against Montfaucon from 1669, condemning him and his brother to death for crimes of murder and fire. So homeboy left, right? Our boy, Henry, call him Henry. He left to flee his first condemnation and then our homeboy here Anthony publishes <laughs> in Paris the judgment and reveals again that this dude is is wanted or whatever and after this allegedly Henry's Korean reputation were ruined after this he was assassinated on the road to Lyon in 1673 by one of his cousins but then there's a rumor. The rumor being that he was actually killed by a gang of sylphs for disclosing their secrets. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe he revealed too much information. Revealed too much of the secrets and did get Clinton. I forgot the name for that. It's got a name. But just interesting. It's supposed to be a parody, but then Blavatsky and all these people... We're taking it seriously, Levi and all them. And I want, I might read this. Let me check here. So we have, and this is a really good, a really good soul source, I guess, if you want to call it that I use sometimes when I'm when, when I want to learn about a certain occult or esoteric subject, And this is the Encyclopedia of Occultism by Spence, Lewis Spence from 1920. It has a lot of nuggets in it. But the problem with this is that they don't cite their sources. So you're going to have to dig if you want to find If they say something crazy, you're going to have to really dig and try and find whatever they're getting at. But. In this entry, he talks about, right, Comte de Gabalias, from which a good deal of what follows is drawn. So he quite literally took the elementary spirit entry in this encyclopedia and took it from this Comte de Gabalias. And again, according to this work, the creatures of the elements were before the fall subject to Adam and all things. And we are led to understand that by means of certain performances, this ancient communication may be restored. I've already said a lot of this. But before I developed my whole presentation, I was going based off of some of the stuff said in this passage. So I'm not going to read that whole thing, but you can check it out. It is on archive.org. Just look up an encyclopedia like of occultism. Lewis Spence, 1920. Good, good weapon to have in your arsenal, I guess, because you can find some really good stuff in it again, but they don't not going to cite a lot of their sources. So if you find something crazy and you want to trace it back, you're going to have to do some work. So according to... And this is where it gets interesting into the aspect of elementary spirits. According to Paracelsian lore, an elemental is a natural creature derived from the flesh that is not the flesh of Adam and belonging to the orderly procedure of creative processes in the universe. An elementary is an artificial being created in the invisible world by man himself. Paracelsus noted that elementaries, quote, seem to be of an evil or destructive nature generated from the excess of human thought and emotion, the corruption of character Or the degeneration of faculties and powers, which should be used in other, more constructive ways. When Adam was created in the image of God, he was given some of the divine spark, the divine power. Therefore, man is also a creator, a creator of life to bring forth children into the world, but also a creator in terms of imagination. Man is creative in arts, sciences, and philosophies, but his creative powers are not only external, but also internal. We always hear mind over matter, it's all mental. Man can therefore, quote, generate creatures from his thoughts and emotions, even as from his flesh. Interesting concept. So we get into the idea of thought forms and emotion forms, according to Paracelsus, are, quote, Like infants, especially in their beginning, for they depend upon their creator for their nutrition and survival. If the forces which generate them continue to operate, these thought and emotion forms gain strength, finally attaining a kind of independence, which is their immortality. Become even stronger than their creator, these thought or emotion forms will turn upon the one who fashioned them, often causing in him a terrible habit and destroying his health and happiness. The elementary cannot exist except with the energy field of its own creator. This is an interesting concept. We also get the incubus. And I also saw something about vampires too, like psychic vampires. But it didn't really it wasn't really a lot on that according to Paracelsus, but talking about how some entities can suck your your energy essentially. The Paracelsian Incubus, a kind of demon that exists because when God created Adam, he breathed into him the divine power. Man is therefore a creator, not merely in the terms of the perpetuation of the species, but especially in terms of the imagination. I mentioned that earlier. The invisible progeny of man included thought forms and emotion forms. Later, however, if the forces that generate them continue to operate, these thought forms gain strength, finally attaining a kind of independence, which is their immortality. I think I already said that. Whoopsies. So we have this here. Uh, This is from Manly P. Hall from an old print, a man troubled by his evil spirit. And it seems like that sometimes where when somebody knows that they have a disease or have an illness or something, they seem to go quicker when they know that they have it versus when they didn't know that they had it. So There's something going on there mentally. A state of mind is is very detrimental to your health. So you have the whole placebo effect, things of that nature. Tied into that. Now if it's an incubus or some sort of demonic entity that's feeding upon your energy and making you sick, who knows? But that is the that is the way that they looked upon these aspects during Paracelsus' time. That it was from a supernatural means. Therefore, you created this entity, this elemental, this elementary spirit, and it attached itself to you. Paracelsus used the term obsession to signify possession by an entity. The obsessing entity or element, elementary sets up physical equivalents in the body, which symbolize the state of the soul and the interior sicknesses, sickness of the mind and heart. So again, these thought forms, these emotion forms, these things are manifested through sickness, things of that nature. This is something that somebody tagged me in on Twitter or X. Shout out to Catherine. Just a weird thing, to, weird thing to tag me in. <laughs> but follow the show on X Juan on Juan. It's the Juan on Juan PD. But she tagged me in this and. It's a depiction of it says your astral self and then an astral plane entity feeding on you jerking off to porn also male what a weird picture anyways so obsession hostile action of an evil spirit like possession, but without the spirit actually inhabiting the body. Transferred sense of action of anything which engrosses the mind. Hmm. So when you're obsessed with something, you're not being possessed because the thing isn't going into your body, but you're being acted upon by an evil spirit. I think this is also... Enthusiasm, I think, also plays it's kind of sort of like that you're inviting an entity into your body and this gets into the the movie homunculus where at first i didn't understand the movie and i thought cuz again i hadn't learned about elementary spirits or I hadn't i had read about elementary spirits but i hadn't put two and two together but in this movie they took the homunculus aspect which is paracelsian and they mixed it in with the elementary spirit aspect, which is also a Paracelsian. And they kind of had like a, a merging of the two, right? And in the movie, which I, I enjoyed the movie. It's based on a manga. I enjoyed the movie. It's very weird. It's a very weird movie. But check it out. It's on Netflix, I think. So truth and illusion blurs when a homeless Amnesi- amnesiatic amnesiac 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 wow when a homeless amnesiac awakens from an experimental medical procedure with the ability to see people's innermost traumas and it was after uh, trepanation which is a procedure of drilling holes in a person's head supposedly increasing the circulation of blood and helping improve Pressure inside one's skull, bringing out a person's sixth sense, and causing them to gain supernatural powers such as ESP, being able to see ghosts, and controlling objects remotely with one with one's mind. Hmm. That's that's the plot of the movie. They drill this hole in this dude's head, and when he covers his, he gets his right eye. He's able to see the homunculi on the people. Which are, again, these elementary spirits that manifest and bring and drag these people down. And it's these traumas that these people are, are experiencing. But there's one catch that when you see it, it attaches itself to you. So you're able to heal people, essentially, but then you take the burden on yourself. It's like a double-edged sword. Trepanning, trepanation, right? Old French, literally bore auger as a surgical intervention in which a hole is drilled or scraped into the human skull. Yikes. So it's an actual procedure. And we get into the idea of thought forms. Non-physical entity or object created by thought that exists in the mental plane or astral plane using magic. Casting spells, thought form, structures, objects, and places can be created magically to exist in the astral plane for the purpose of visualization and workings. This is you can learn how to create your own mind palace in the occultist Monday. You can get your copy at TJOJP.com where I teach you how to create a mind palace. We're able to store different things and help you with memory, right? Thought forms entities can be created and summoned through evocation to perform certain tasks, such as sending to carry out spells or even perform psychic attacks, invisible to most people but perce- can be perceived clairvoyantly. There's thought forms and there's toples, and I have a couple friends that are furries. All right, nothing against furries, but a topa or a thought form or something can also be. Like a sort of alter ego that can, can invite in. And I've seen some furries talk about their furry ego, or whatever. I don't know what it's called, but again, it's just very weird. So, an imaginary friend, materialized being or thought form, typically in human form, created through spiritual practice and intense concentration. People who can control and make these topas are called to- topomancers. Practitioners consider them to be sentient independent. And then, quote, modern practitioners predominantly consider topos to be psychological rather than a paranormal concept. And again, it's all, it's all mental, it's all psychological. Egregores, non physical entity that arises from the collective thoughts of a distinct group of people called a collective entity. And then another interesting aspect to this is that the watchers, right, that we mentioned at the beginning, are also referred to by some as egregores, as entities from the collective. So just another weird interpretation of things that we often talk about. I did cover uh, some of this stuff, how the 33rd, how the parallels and these things are used, how the ley lines and these energetic points are used in the world and how these secret societies are using these energies, these topas, these thought forms and all that stuff. I talked about it in episode 153, the World Grid, the 33rd Parallel Enigma, and the Global Memory Theater. You can check that out if you want to learn more about that and how these energies and these things are utilized in a ceremonial, occult, magical way. So again, concepts that I've talked about before, but I didn't really get in, in depth with. And so we have here a translation of the four treatises of Theophrastus von Hohenheim, uh, a book on nymphs, sylphs, pygmies, and salamanders and other spirits. And this is, again, the translation of the book that allegedly inspired a lot of this elemental talk. So the idea of elementals was made, created from... This book by Paracelsus. In it, he talks about giants as well. One thing that I didn't know about was that St. Christopher was a giant. Crazy. He was a giant. He was like half dog man, something. Right? So, again, I'm learning about new things within the stuff that I've already talked about. And this was one of them. This dude was a giant talks about, I want to talk about a little bit about the giants, the, the gigantibus, and you must have knowledge of these two kinds, giants and dwarfs. The giants come from the forest people and the dwarfs from the earth mannequins. So again, this idea, he didn't call them elementals, he called them peoples. They are a monster like the sirens from the nymphs, thus these beings, so he called them beings, are born. And although it happens rarely, yet it happens so often and under such marvelous circumstances that their existence is well known and remembered. They are strange in size and strength, giants and dwarfs. There is nothing to tell about the resembling the kind of the parents from whom they were born because they do not resemble their kind, but are monster. And this gets into the Paracelsian monsters aspect of, of these things, which he also wrote about beyond the kind from which they came. And it's interesting because Paracelsus talks about how. A lot of these mythological creatures like the minotaur, the harpies, and all these things that we see that are portrayed in ancient mythology and ancient writings, that that it was actually from these giants just jizzing all over the world. So they were taking their seed, their corrupted seed, and they were just just shooting it everywhere. And from wherever they would. Or their seed would fall, these monstrosities would come forth. Thanks, Paracelsus. About the dwarfs, you must know that they are born from the earth mannequins in the mountains. Hence, they are not as tall as the giants, but smaller in the same proportion as the earth mannequins are smaller than the forest people. They are monsters also like the giants, and their birth must be understood the same way. These are all the stuff that I'm reiterating because... I started to add too much to this presentation. I just kept going and going, so I'm not going to read some of this stuff. But here we go. The cause of the sirens, giant dwarves, also the willow, will, willow the wisp, <laughs> who are monsters of the fire people, is that they predict and indicate something new. They are not on guard, but signify that misfortune is threatening people. This is really weird. Thus, when lights are seen, it means the impending downfall of that country. That is, it commonly signifies the destruction of the monarchy and similar things. Now, I wanted to put this in here because I forget where it is in the Bible, where he talks about how during the end of times, because right now, a lot of people are on edge, World War III. There's things going on in the Middle East. There's things going on here in America. But Paracelsus is kind of prophesizing here. Talking about the end times and how when you start to see these things, it's signifying the end of times, which is also found in the Bible. That when you start to see these giants reemerge, the end of times are upon us. That's why I wanted to to have this here and I actually put this in here before everything started popping off over in the Middle East. But again, I've been working on this presentation for a while now because I'd been doing other episodes and having interviews and whatnot. So these things signifies the destruction of the monarchy and similar things. Thus, the giants also signify great impending destruction of that country and land or some other such great disaster. The dwarves signify great poverty among the people in many parts. The sirens signify the downfall of princes and lords, the rise of sects or factions. From God wants us all to be of one essence. What is against it, he drops. And when this is going to happen, signs occur. These beings are such signs as has been said, but not they alone. There are many more. You must know that the signs change each time. They do not appear in one way, but are hidden to our eyes. What a weird thing to write about. So let's say that. Paracelsus, obviously, being an alchemist, occulting these concepts, occulting certain concepts behind symbols, let's say that the giants and all these things were code for something else. And it said that Paracelsus, he liked to be in the company of the lesser folks or the peasants, I guess, the poor people. So it was said that he, he was pretty much a nomad. He would travel around and they said he got a lot of inspiration from talking to various people around on his travels. So a lot of these stories that he's writing about these nymphs and gnomes and creatures and fairies were from stories that he had collected from talking to different people. And it's just bizarre that he's prophesizing here that when these things are, are coming into existence that they are signifying the end of times. And finally, the last cause is unknown to us, but when the end of the world will come close, then all things will be revealed, from the smallest smallest to the largest, from the first to the last, where everything has been and is, why it stood there and left, from what causes and what its meaning was, and everything that is in the world will be disclosed and come to light. Then the fake scholars will be exposed, those who are highly learned and innate, in name only, but know nothing by experience. Then the thorough scholars, and those who are mere talkers, will be recognized for what they are, those who wrote truthfully, and those who traded in lies, the thorough and the shallow ones, and to each will be measured according to his diligence, earnest endeavor, and truth. At that place not everyone will be or remain a master or even a doctor, because there are, There the tares will be separated from the wheat and the straw from the grain. He who now cries will be quieted, and he who now counts the pages will have his quills taken away. And all things will be revealed before the day of judgment breaks, order that it be found of all scholars from the past to that very day, who had knowledge and who not, whose writings were right and whose wrong. Now in my time, this is still unknown." Blessed be the people in those days whose intelligence will be revealed for what they produced, will be revealed to all the people as if it were written on their foreheads. For that time, I also recommend my writing for judgment, asking that nothing be withheld. Thus it will be for God makes the light manifest. That is, everyone will see how it has shown. He ends with that. He's throwing hella shade at people. Because he was also shunned for his beliefs, and he was a very radical guy for his beliefs For his time. He did public book burnings for people who didn't agree with him, who refused to write in Latin and wrote in German. And thanks to Dorn, we took we have a lot of his writings because tr- he translated from German to Latin, right? But he, he was a very religious man, God fearing man. And here he is in a book of nymphs, gnomes, sylphs, and all these things talking about the end of times and judgment and how everything will be revealed, the 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 apocalypse, the great unveiling. Oof. And again, something that I didn't know would be related to all this, but felt I should put it in here. Alien grays are alien gays? Aliens are sodomites. Now, hear me out. Are aliens fake and gay? Because Daddy Paracelsus here talking about when you see the lights, that it signifies things. Well, what, what are we talking a lot about in the mainstream media recently? Well, aliens. They're sometimes depicted as. Balls of light in the air, things of that nature. So again, I'm just just putting it out there. And there's a connection between elementals and alien greys or alien entities, UFOs, whatever you want to refer to it as. Now, is it all fake and gays at a government psyop? I don't know. But I'm here to point out the parallels in these phenomenons or concepts. So Raymond Drake. And Jacques uh, Jacques Valet, which we know is famous for the UFO phenomenon and, and, and aliens and abductions. But Raymond Drake had taken inspiration from this Comte of Gabalias. So this book that essentially was supposed to be a parody on the occult and esoteric and secret sciences and he extracted how these experiences that people were describing back then were also there's a parallel with within the UFO and alien abduction community or what do they call it abductee. And so similarities between alien stories, which truly happen, and stories in which fairies abduct humans, in both fairy and alien lore, people encounter strange beings see apparitions or experience intercourse with non-humans, so on and so forth. Aliens, right? The whole joke is that they put stuff in people's butts, right? That they probe people. Okay. Now they're probing you because they're, they're gay or what? I don't know. But there's a connection, right? There is a connection between... These elementals are entities, and they always have the same goal in mind. They they abduct you, they take something from you, they, they operate on you. People with fairies have been abducted and all these different... I mean, H.P. Uh, H. Lovecraft's mom would dress him up as a girl because she had the belief, she was superstitious, had the belief that little boys would be taken by fairies more than girls. So, she dressed him up as as a little girl growing up. Interesting concept. Valet writes, Brazilian Antonio Villas-Boas had been 23 when mid-October 1957, he was abducted by four beings, taken into their egg-shaped craft. He was seduced by a beautiful female creature with white hair. She uttered strange noises. Twice, Antonio in the modern succubus succubus had intercourse the second time the female had rubbed her belly and pointed to the sky as if she indicated to have his baby somewhere in space. But we know space is fake and gay. Hence Valet noticed the characteristics strikingly similar between contemporary humans harassed by aliens and humans harassed by incubi or succubi in medieval times. We have Merlin supposedly of a demonic birth. That's why he was half. That's why he had powers because he was half demon, half human we had, who else was, I've talked about this before, but Paracelsus wrote about this and, and it relates to the homunculus because they believed that demons in the night were stealing people's semen and putting it other places and, and making monsters and creatures. Maybe that's where cryptids come from. They're actually homunculi on the loose that incubus or succubus demons have stolen and they implanted it somewhere. Again, just an interesting connection. But so Raymond Drake, Valet took from his works, and then Valet was put in touch with the order of Melchizedek in California. And the founder of that, Iram Erastus Butler, was accused by Helena Blavatsky of, quote, begetting children on the astral plane. Yes, Blavatsky was accusing people of having babies on the astral plane, moon children, things of that nature, so just very, very interesting, bizarre concepts, Blavatsky being one of those that took the Comte of Gabalis' book, literally, Right. So I felt like putting this in here because the whole alien thing going on nowadays, everyone's talking about how it's a psyop, And I believe it is like, I mean, people talk about how people aren't reacting to this whole phenomenon. And I'm like, dude, we've been talking about this for years. (laughs) I'm tired of the stories. I want to see those gay aliens. Show me the gay aliens. All right. I want to see the gay aliens. And I want to shake a gay alien's hand. So anyways, enough of that. Hopefully you enjoyed this presentation. I'm going to be doing some other solo stuff here soon. Make sure to leave a comment, review, like subscribe. Let me know what you thought of this. Let me know if you learned anything new. Let me know if you've married an elemental and you've had intercourse with an elemental. Hit me up, the Juan Podcast at gmail.com. If you've had intercourse with an elemental, leave me a Google voice message. All right, 407 476 4606. Get your copy. If you don't make a homunculus without your owner's, homunculus owner's manual, tjojp.com, homunculus owner's manual. Paranoid American Comics. Shout out to Thomas. Paranoid American. Cultist Monday. Chosen One. What else am I forgetting? Nothing else. Love you all. Be kind to one another. And as always, see you on the other side. Bye.